0: How are you? It's been a while.
1: Um, I was sick for a while. That was a bad choice. That was, yes, definitely. Like, oh, I went and saw Neil deGrasse Tyson. Oh, really? Oh, I yeah. did
0: hear that he was,
1: he is here, right? He was here like two Wednesdays ago.
0: Damn it. I should know these things. I should be more on top of these things.
1: <laughs> yeah. How is that? You, you should. Actually, uh, so the funny thing about that is, is um, we knew that he was coming, and so my sister kept sending me emails like, oh, Neil deGrasse Tyson is coming, like, in three weeks. Are you ready? And I was like, "Uh, I'm just going to ignore you because I don't have tickets, and their tickets are really expensive, and so I'm just going to ignore you. And then, like, the next week she sends me an email like, Hey, uh, you know, remember. I'm like, (laughs) "Uh, I don't have tickets, so I'm not going to remember. And then then, like the day before, she sends me an email saying, do you want to get dinner before? And I'm like, I don't have tickets, so I don't know what you keep talking about. And she's like, I bought tickets for both of us like three months ago. (laughs) And I'm like what seriously (laughs) and she's like yeah you repaid me for the tickets (laughs) so we had this conversation you got tickets like wow seriously uh so we went to see neil degrasse tyson fantastic yes
0: (laughs) well that was a nice surprise that you bought for yourself
1: that's right it was a complete surprise um yeah It feels like I do that more and more now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Just completely forget about things like that. Well, Um, you know. Yeah, it was. I'm getting old. (laughs) I
0: guess. Well, uh, there's just a lot on your mind.
1: There is a lot on my mind.
0: Where was uh, Where did he talk?
1: It was a Michigan theater. Okay. Yeah, we were up in nosebleed seats, which were, you know, still okay. We could see him.
0: In the Michigan theater. In the Michigan Theater. not that big.
1: No, but there is, like, um, there's the mezzanine, then there's the balcony, and then there's the second balcony. Right. And so we were up. Up We weren't in the second balcony, but we were in the high balcony.
0: I imagine he wasn't doing a lot, you know, with, like, facial expressions that you needed to be seeing in order to really
1: participate or appreciate the talk, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know the... The funniest thing, I think, about the talk is that he started off basically saying Pluto is not a planet. End of story. Everybody who thinks it is, just go away, please. (laughs) Uh, Which is, you know, okay.
0: And so half the people left?
1: Half the people left. No, no. I think a bunch of people actually agree with him, you know, because they're Neil deGrasse Tyson fans. But the funny thing is... A week later, pretty much to the day, I was at the National Academy of Sciences for Space Week, and the person who was giving the talk that evening was Alan Stern, Mm -hmm. who is the PI of New Horizons, which flew past Pluto and took all of the cool pictures of Pluto.
0: Yes, which launched when Pluto was still a planet.
1: It launched when Pluto is still a planet, and Alan claims that Pluto is still a planet. Like, he refuses to actually acknowledge that Pluto is no longer a planet. And he showed a slide that had all of the picture, all of the planets, and, you know, so it has, like, Jupiter, Saturn, and he arranges them by size. Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, and then, you know, Earth and blah, blah, blah. And Pluto is somewhere, like, right in the middle, and there are probably 40 planets on his chart now. Because all of the Kuiper Belt objects that we have found that are even close to Pluto's size, he considers those planets okay. now.
0: Okay, that makes sense.
1: Well, it doesn't make sense. Well, <laughs> okay, but...
0: well, I mean, what? so that's <laughs> the point. It doesn't matter. Who cares? I mean, right. people care, but who cares? Right. It's just a name.
1: You mean planet or no planet? Yeah whatever yeah
0: it's a it's a it's a big rock
1: it's that's, a, it's, that's cool
0: to check out with some cameras and some instruments
1: yeah so i i tend to agree with you that it doesn't really matter and it's sort of funny it's just sort of a funny fight yeah i guess that's true that they're having um yeah but in ultimately it doesn't really matter <clears throat> but people people get very sensitive about the whole planet not planet thing
0: yeah but for stupid reasons uh, so I, I get on i get on lindsey just in general about stuff like this like you know why do you really care you really care because pluto was a planet when you were a kid yes and now it's not it that that doesn't matter tradition like that is stupid i just i can't even yeah wow whatever
1: wow i think tradition uh, like that compa- is yeah
0: tradition i mean tradition in general i wouldn't say is stupid but tradition like that just because it was this way and there's right. no other compelling reason for it to be this way still. No, I don't think that's... I, don't, I think it's dumb. Yeah. But I think the, the Alan Stern slide, the 40 planets, I, you could make an argument that it would be kind of... Well, I don't know. Maybe not. But I, I think our solar system would be more sexy if it had 40 planets instead of just eight.
1: <laughs> but but realistically, it's not 40. It's like 3,000.
0: Well, yeah, exactly. Right. That, but, you know, but again, it doesn't really matter.
1: Right. And and how do you really compare a planet like Jupiter to a Kuiper Belt object that is smaller than many of Jupiter's moons?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you could even the same thing. How do you compare the gas giants to the terrestrial planets? Yeah. I and mean, they're totally yeah. different. So maybe maybe our solar system has four planets
2: <laughs> and then <laughs> four kind of rocks you know, rocks <laughs> big rocks yes
1: and
0: a whole bunch of little rocks right right
1: right we are the i guess we are the largest rock planet in the solar system <laughs> that's right right uh, yeah that's an interesting way of well, except looking for at
0: it. planet x or planet nine or whatever it's called these days
1: the one that is way out past yeah like in the kuiper belt but is bigger than
0: like 10 times the size of earth or whatever. Is it? Is it really? I think those are the estimates.
1: Huh? That's crazy big.
0: It is crazy big.
1: Yeah, and if it's like so far away that we'll never see it, does it count?
0: <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I think there are lots of planets that we never see around other yeah. stars that you can't directly measure. But I guess oh, that's, yeah. I guess that's different though. I don't yeah. know. I mean, that's that's the whole point, right? What's the point? They're all just rocks orbiting.
1: Well, it it actually—or not rocks orbiting the sun, right? I mean, it gets into the point of, like, what is the purpose of classification? We have these arguments in science all the time. So for my vernacular, it would be like, is something a substorm, or is it a sawtooth event, or is it a blah, 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 you know? And what's the point of classifying things, putting things into a box—
0: yeah. I, and that, that's exactly what it is. And I think, well, I think the point of classification is to enable communication, effective communication. But yeah. when you start the process of classifying things, you are by default, you know, defining, drawing a line in the sand. And mm-hmm. this thing is on this side of the line. And this other thing is on this other side of the line, even though these two things are incredibly similar, you know, yes, you basically are removing the possibility of a gray area when everything, there's always a gray area. Right. So, you know, for the most most part, you're removing ambiguity or you're trying to remove ambiguity so you can be a a more effective communicator. But ultimately, you know, one of the penalties of doing that is having these things that are kind of straddling the line.
1: Yeah. And you actually can then make communication harder by classifying things.
0: Right. In the case of Pluto and fighting.
1: Right. Right. And saw teeth and substorms. Yeah. (laughs)
0: bringing back good memories from from graduate school
1: yes yes exactly very important memories too <laughs> yeah i would imagine oh yeah because people actually care <laughs> uh so you finished reading seven eves
0: i i did i did i finished listening to seven eves oh uh, okay uh and it's been a couple of weeks now amazingly yeah. my life has been different without it is it, it took really? so damn long <laughs> <laughs>
1: Because it's like four thousand hours. It's of it, audio it was thirty
0: one right? hours of audiobook. Yeah, which is which is like two and a half times the standard audiobook length, at least for the books that I
1: listen to. Hmm. You don't listen to like the Harry Potter books, then?
0: No, I read those.
1: Yeah, but but those are those were incredibly long audiobooks, also.
0: Yeah, I'm sure they were, but they were still no. Com- I mean, I would think what seventies was like nine hundred or a thousand pages.
1: Yeah, and the longest Harry
0: yeah. Potter was seven hundred. So, yeah, maybe. pretty close, but but still, right. Yeah, it was yeah. it was a long book.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. but I
0: did get to a, a couple points where I couldn't, you know, in essence, put it down. So it was hmm. when I normally listen to audiobooks, it's only in the car. And, yes. Yeah, pretty much only in the car. And in this case, there were times when I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna lay on the couch for two <laughs> for two hours tonight and be completely useless, <laughs> yes. and uh, and listen to this thing.
1: Yeah, so what were those points? Or should we really
0: at the end of part two?
1: Yes. When everybody was dying.
0: (laughs) You said you said early on in the book as a as a pseudo spoiler that lots of people die. And and so I always had that in the back of my head. I'm like, at which point do do lots of people officially die? (laughs) And then Yeah, and then everybody dies. (laughs) And then everybody dies.
2: (laughs) You're like
1: Holy crap, that was a lot of people dead. <laughs> that was a lot of dead people. That was a lot of dead people. It is amazing how many dead people there are. <laughs> I mean, you would think that the the most horrifying thing would be, so the hard rain part, where the vast majority of people still on Earth are actually dying. And so, like, you know, you wipe out, what's something like uh, 7 billion minus... 2,000 or something like that you do that within a couple of pages right
0: yeah oh yeah it's
1: very clear. so that's that's a lot of people dying but then those 2,000 people get dwindled down pretty harshly also (laughs) and that seems like it's more compelling
0: yeah oh for sure I mean because that's the focus of the book right right is getting out getting these these few people up into space and saving them yes and that doesn't really work
1: (laughs) right right (laughs) And so do you think, okay, do you think that, um, I guess a bunch of different things, but do you think that ultimately, like, it was a miracle that they actually survived at all? Or do you think that um, their intention, so so I think that there was some discussion in the book about, um, like, what is the purpose of this whole, let's get as many people to outer space as physically possible and give them some chance for survival is was that simply to like give people on the ground hope or was that actually realistically they were trying to do something to save humanity
0: when you mean they so I think the I think the political side of it was just to give hope hmm um, but I think the people that were initially in the air yes thought that there was a real chance that to work yeah Um, yeah and i think you know i mean i guess it depends on how you look at it it did eight people survived
1: eight people yes (laughs) you know
0: which was enough
1: spoiler alert yeah right um obviously eight eight people live
0: (laughs) but uh you know like and and then the reason i mean i thought that was the most interesting part of the book unfortunately i was really interested in the book from a scientific standpoint and like seeing how these problems were dealt with um, as they came about, but you know, what got me really into the book and got me really, um, thinking about the book was, you know, was the political part of it when yeah. like, um, JF, JFB showed up in space. It's like, what, what the hell <laughs> like, yeah. did, would this really happen? Like, would somebody be so self-serving and sort of delusional? And, and then like to, to instantly get involved in this sort of plot to, just regain power for no other reason than to have power. Right. Um, Really got me thinking. And it, and it sort of became clear that she was suffering from some mental disabilities that were subtle, I guess, hmm. at least that was the opinion of a couple of the characters in the book. And so it, it sort of seemed that way. Yeah. But I still couldn't stop thinking about, like, man, you know, would w- would this really be how somebody reacted? That was that was a, a significant political figure on Earth in the event right. of such a such a thing.
1: Yeah, so I guess equivalently, would like if all of humanity was going to die, would people force Obama to get into a capsule and be launched into space? Right. Um, or would people say, well, that's not the best choice for the continuation of the human race, because, you know, we need younger people who are closer to reproductive age and blah, blah, blah. um, And people with different talents than just politicians. It's hard to know, because, you know, money and power are tied together pretty strongly. And so it's, not super easy but it's probably easier for people who have power and money to assert themselves and get up into space sure. if they need to and
0: and i like i could see that i could see that happening right i could see it, it wasn't surprising that uh, a world leader showed up in space and it, it was even more surprising that none of them were supposed to in the first place right but the really surprising thing was you know in this in this place where this one person was completely um didn't have the right skill set to do anything to do anything. Yeah. She led a rebellion basically and yes. basically instilled a rebellion to just simply take back power. power. Yeah. And that seems ludicrous and scary at the same time. Yes. You know, is that is that how a, a person in that position thinks? You know, or is that is that sort of a guiding principle that a person in that position allows to sort of determine the direction of, of their policy or something like that, or their actions. Right. And, and so in that, in the, in the broader sense of, of thinking about like, how does this reflect on today's society? It sort of, it sort of made me think a little bit and wonder, you know, how people in that position, which are very different from me and have different goals and aspirations, how many of them are, have that sort of a you know, just
1: self-serving. Yeah,
0: very self-serving. Power hungry. Yeah, exactly. Is that something that exists in the political world in, in any sort of position of power?
1: Right. Oh, I definitely think I mean, you look at Congress and the way that it is today. And they're not like the fights and everything that go on in Congress aren't because they want to serve the the country to the best of their ability. It's because they want to maintain power. You
0: know, I mean, uh,
1: that's a jury mandarin and everything. That's all about power. Yeah.
0: I mean, that's true. And that's it's I guess it's something I haven't thought a lot about because, you know, the um, the positive, maybe the naive side of me wants to sort of say that these people, even though they might have an ideology that is very different than mine, um, they have that because they thought about these things. They thought about the effects of political and policy decisions that they that they put forth and they make and how they affect the people that they represent and even though it's very different than what i would do or what i would think it still makes sense um from their perspective yeah but you know it's hard to argue when you mention the word gerrymandering i mean i can't (laughs) there's no other there's no other reason to to have this problem other than to maintain power yes And I mean, I guess you can make the argument you're trying to do it for your party. So maybe you claim that it's, well, it's an ideological difference. And we just want to make sure that, you know, that this, we we always have a Republican or we always have a Democrat in this seat so that we always have these views being represented. But I don't know. I mean, that's a tenuous argument that I I find really difficult um, to believe.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. And I I think that there are people, I, I guess I, say, I should say, I hope there are people in Congress that are selfless, you know, who are there because they want to help humanity and believe strongly in something and so that they want to make that thing happen, whether it is, you know, a Republican point of view or a Democratic point of view. Um, they believe strongly in that but like the more and more you see the more you think or the more i think uh, like these people are there strictly to have power which is just it's depressing
0: yeah well that's that's for sure and it's just uh, particularly depressing right now
1: oh yeah and I'll give you oh, names yeah.
0: because you you know you mentioned that there are people that are probably there with the best of interests uh, um and and trying to make a difference and believe that they can and I, and because I I tend to lean more t- towards the liberal side of things I'll mention two republicans or maybe not republicans two conservatives that are uh, that stick out in my mind as being people of that sort that that are that I think are there because they've thought hard about their views on policy and they think those are the best options the best choices for the country Um, yeah i I particularly have a high level of respect for rand paul
1: Hmm.
0: and so it was it was completely baffling to me when he was very quickly um, removed or i guess he very quickly exited from the 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 presidential race i mean it was very it was it was obvious that he wasn't gonna he wasn't going to be able to win the nomination yes and to me he was a very rational choice for the for the republican ticket Um, which, which just goes to show how different my, my, uh, my (laughs) view of things is from a lot of, a lot of the people in the country.
1: Yeah. Who is your second person?
0: I would say John McCain historically Hmm. has had a pretty, pretty good intentions. I think that his presidential run, maybe that was a blip. Yes. And maybe he had some bad, bad advice in general on how to, how to secure the, the presidency.
1: I think that that's true. I think that, um. He used to be much more fair and open-minded, and then when he ran for president, everything got shut off or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know.
0: And there's been times in the past year, I think, and I can't remember specific instances now, of course, but I think that there's been times when I've noticed that he'll say something or make you know, make a speech on the floor, and it'll be clear that you know he's doing this because he believes it's the correct, the thing, to do. correct thing to do, and it, it goes against what a lot of his his conservative um, teammates might, might want.
1: I have this issue that I think that the Democrats are more like the more liberal you are, the more you care about humanity and you're doing things for idealistic points of view. And it's not just power. And Joey just completely just goes, you are so naive (laughs) all the time. Yeah. Like she just thinks that all politicians are just out for power
0: yeah it certainly seems that way more and more these days, yeah and especially right now
1: yes it's very depressing it's a very depressing time to uh listen to politics or anything
0: very depressing but but highly entertaining
1: it is it is pretty entertaining <laughs> yes, I listen to a lot of political podcasts yeah yeah
0: so you're you're both entertained and sad all day long
1: uh, that's exactly right i you know you get infuriated that's what i listen to when i run and just <laughs> fury fury political fury <laughs>
0: i can't imagine a worse hell <laughs> <Political> <laughs> listening to political
1: podcasts yes yeah yeah what do you listen to while you run
0: i do not listen while i run what i running is a is for me is a is a is a chance to like reset my brain huh and this is so you... this is actually a big reason why I don't run a lot, um, <laughs> because what I've noticed over the course of training for different races and things like that over you know the past ten years, I've, as you know, I've done some rather long races, and yes. um, so I had to do rather long training runs, and for me, it's like the first three to five miles, my brain is just all muddled and I'm really stressed. And I'm like, I can't believe I'm taking time out of my day to go do this. And I, I should be working or I should be hanging out with my family. Yeah. But after like that initial, you know, three to five miles, I am able to, my brain shuts off and I'm able to just kind of relax and I feel so much better.
1: Hmm. But if I do a
0: short run, I don't get to that point. Right. I do like, if I just go that three, four miles, um, I just, I just, I get back and I'm tired and I'm like, oh, I can't believe I just wasted 30 minutes or whatever. <laughs> so, so for me, it's like, I, I kind of have to go, you know, five, seven, nine miles and then it really pays off for me mentally, yeah. <laughs> but it's really hard to, to go, you know, that far a lot.
1: Right. Because that's, that's an hour of time. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. Like an
0: hour of time. And yeah. I seek a lot more into that in Aikido now, but you know, so this is all completely uh, ridiculous and stupid. But <laughs> but that's the that's the mental process that goes through
1: my brain. Hmm.
0: I'm not gonna go run because it's gonna take an hour, but I'll go to Aikido for four.
1: What do you do for four hours in Aikido? Um,
0: I train. <laughs> uh, so well. I guess the longest I really go is is three hours of workout. So so like yesterday Monday. Typically is my long day. I, I class starts at 6, and there are three classes, so basically 6, 7, and 8. Wow. And those three classes are pretty different. So like the 6 o'clock class is focusing on um, techniques appropriate to my level. The, hmm. the middle class is typically a beginner class, so I'm there and really focusing on beginner-level uh, stuff. And, and for me, that means I can really focus on some of the details that I haven't had time to focus on. Okay. Uh, and so that tends to be low, uh, much more low impact and not nearly as cardiovascular, de- ca- cardiovascularly demanding. I see. And then usually on Monday, the eight o'clock classes, that's the conditioning class. And, and that's just hard as hell. Hmm. It, it's, it's always hard. Um, but, you know, it's the last class. And so you, you do it.
1: Three hours is a long time to work out, though.
0: It is. And and usually by, um, by the time conditioning class starts, I'm, I'm pretty exhausted and I'm like, God, I haven't eaten dinner. Um, I'm really hungry. I'm really thirsty, but you know, you kind of, you get through it. And then afterwards, a lot of the time we'll stay around. And, and one of the traditions in the, in the dojo is to, at the end of class, every night, there's a toast, a round of toasts. So we'll, Mm. you know, have a a couple of toasts, which is actually very, very nice and, and helps to, um, uh, helps me to recover. Yeah. Pretty quickly. And sometimes people bring in like some small food items because the dojo is oh. right by um, Zingerman's Bakehouse. A lot of the times people pick up like oh, okay. a loaf of good bread and we'll have that afterwards. Huh. That is a very okay. special treat.
1: Yeah, really. And some carbs. Oh, man. Carbs and carbs. Right. Beer
0: carbs and bread carbs.
1: Beer carbs and bread carbs. That's it's the best. I don't think I've ever gotten more drunk than after running for like an hour or two and and then you come home and you drink, um, I drink hard cider. You drink one or two hard ciders after a long run. And, you know, you're thirsty, you're exhausted, your stomach is completely empty, and then you are drunk as hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it you know,
0: feels good because you've earned it,
1: it. feels good. Exactly. Exactly. Are you running?
0: Ah, uh, <laughs> uh, No. No, I'm not no. i not really I ran once. I did about three miles when I went to my
1: parents' house for Easter. Huh.
0: I'm thinking about running.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and you have an event coming up in two and a half weeks, don't you?
0: Yeah, it sounds about right. Is it
1: two, is it two and a half weeks now? <laughs> it is two and a half weeks. Oh my god. Well, two two weeks in like four days. You're
0: gonna destroy me. <laughs> I think what's gonna happen at about six miles is I'm just <laughs> I'm just gonna jump on your back. <laughs> <laughs> Say go, Aaron.
1: I don't think that will happen. <laughs> of course, I, I have no ability to, like, fend you off because you do Aikido.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know how that translates to, uh, to running and fighting while... Forcing somebody tight. to carry yeah, you. We haven't done that technique.
1: Seven miles? Yes. <laughs>
0: I uh, As I do... So I've done this race, um, the the trail half marathon now for... I don't know. the last, uh, Four years in a row, except for last year. I forget. I used to do the full, and then as I, I got a little bit older and lazier, I, I backed off to the half, which is yep. just so much more pleasant. Um, and, and what I've done, because it's always early in the season too, so even when I was focusing on running more, I wouldn't have run very much beforehand yes. anyway because Michigan sucks in March and April. It's
1: hard to run.
0: Yeah, it's cold. I don't want to run in yeah. the cold. Right. Uh, So... So this is just—I mean, really—I always treat this as a as a long. It's just a long uh, training run. Huh. I'm not really training for anything, but it's a. Right. It's it's just a long workout, um, and we'll get through it. My buddy reminded me, though, of my my first position on such things this weekend when he's like, "You know, if it's just a training run, why are you paying money to do it?" <laughs> <I'm> like, <"Well, laughs> that is a good point. Yes. <laughs> um, and my answer to that is, if I didn't pay money. I would not do it. You wouldn't do it. Do it.
1: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So. Uh, the last, the only half marathon I have ever done my entire life, I actually missed it uh, because uh, I forgot to register. Oh, really? And uh, I realized like two days before, oh, I really need to register for this thing. <laughs> and then I went on and it was completely full, yeah. so I couldn't do it. Yeah. Uh, so I forced myself to go and run a half marathon anyways um without anybody around me or anything yeah that was last year
0: that i don't did you tell me that i don't think i knew that you missed the registration or maybe i did and i've since forgotten yeah that's um that's not a fun way to do a half marathon but i know that you were no. doing crazy long training runs anyway so you know what your longest training run was probably
1: 12 miles Yeah, so
0: it was just like oh it's an extra mile right.
1: It's an extra mile. What you should have done is
0: just run the extra mile for that training run. Then you could have skipped the half marathon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
1: exactly. So uh, this last weekend, I ran almost nine miles. Oh man, you're gonna kill me! How'd that go? (laughs) It was cold this Uh, weekend. It was chilly. It was windy and snowy. It was windy. Um, when I ran Saturday morning, it was not um snowy yet.
0: Hadn't gotten there yet.
1: Right. It wasn't that bad. The the really so two things happen. The first is because I was sick. Um, when I got inside, because of the temperature change and the humidity change, and my lung capacity being crap, I just started coughing and coughing and coughing and couldn't stop coughing. Um, when I stopped, and then I sat down, which is a big mistake because then my knees went oh you really don't need me anymore. (laughs) And they just started like swelling and just like massive pain. And I couldn't stand up for like an hour afterwards. Uh, And that's pretty typical of long runs. Yeah. Um, I just hope that I can actually endure longer than nine miles.
0: It's so much easier when you've got other people around and you've got um, like, you know, people out there with Gatorade and bananas and stuff. It <laughs> yes. makes it so much easier.
1: The the big problem that I think that I'm going to have is that when everybody else around me is running and people are passing me, I'm like, I'm you can't pass me <laughs> and then I I start running faster and faster and then I will die. If I run too fast, I will just die.
0: Yes. Yeah. It you got to especially with this race, you got to you got to realize and set your limits early on. Yeah. <laughs> my, my yeah. typical path for this race and as I've done it several times is I, I start off right in the middle of the pack and I just go slow. Yeah. And so that that basically means I, I pass a few people, a few people pass me, but I'm not really shuffling position too much. Right. And then towards the end, the last like four, three or four miles, when people are really dying, I, I, I should have enough in my tank, yes. um, that I can, I can keep up or pass most people. Right And mentally, because I'm a very mentally weak person, that feels great because if I'm passing (laughs) more people than are passing me, uh, that's just dandy.
1: Yes. And I usually accelerate. Uh, So I start out when I'm on a long run, I'll try to start out at 10 minute miles and then just slowly accelerate. And then I'll finish. Usually I'll finish at like 930 a mile. Uh, but, like this weekend, for some reason, I started off at about nine fifteen and finished at about nine.
0: That's fantastic,
1: yeah, yeah, I felt like I was going way too fast, and I just kept telling myself to slow down, but then I kept speeding up
0: <laughs> that that I think that means you're in you're in good shape,
1: yes, or I was really looking forward to some alcohol. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That is also a very helpful thing to have a goal to look yes. forward to at the end of the race. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. Do they actually have alcohol at the end of this uh pinckney whatever? This race? one they
0: do not. Um, oh. because you'll be done by like, I don't know, nine thirty. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a little bit early in the day. Well,
1: you know, with a pancake you can have some <laughs> some mm. uh cider. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. There we did do a um Joey did a 10K and I did a 5K like last year or the year before where it was like a pancake breakfast thing Mm -hmm. and it started off at 8 a.m. or something like that and so you were finished with the 10K you were finished by like nine and they were giving away um, hard cider and so we we all drank hard cider with our pancakes. Yeah,
0: you might as well. Yeah, why not? (laughs) Why not? You've earned it.
1: Right. And then you have to sit around for about an hour or so. Waiting for you to stop being drunk so you can drive home, <laughs> or you have to eat so many pancakes that it just absorbs all that the alcohol. That is my recommended course of action. That's, that's <laughs> definitely <laughs> happened. Definitely happened. There are a lot of pancakes. <laughs> yeah,
0: I never really got the the drinking alcohol after the workout. So when I was a younger, when I was in high school, I used to do a bunch of triathlons, and and after the big ones like um, Chicago Triathlon and a couple other ones there was always a beer tent at the end. I'm like, this Mm. doesn't, there's no, that doesn't make any sense. And I didn't like beer there anyway, but I'm just like, I couldn't imagine drinking alcohol right now. All I want is water, a banana and a cranberry muffin. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, like, so I tried it. I I did a marathon in Utah way the hell back now in 2004. Mm -hmm. And I didn't train at all. I like, I haven't trained for this race. I trained even less for that race. Wow. So I didn't run. I don't think I ran once in three months before that marathon. Holy and, uh, crap. And I got finished and I was, I was so destroyed. And so we went out to dinner with Lindsay who had also done the race. And I'm like, well, I've seen people do this. Maybe it's awesome. So I ordered a beer and I'm like, this is the worst thing ever. Why would anybody huh. do this? But now in my old age, I, I could go for the beer after the race. I don't, yes. I don't know what's changed.
1: Yeah, I mean, when I was biking a lot, I never drank. I very, very, very rarely ever drank after, like, a 100-mile bike ride. Never really drank. And, you know, I don't like beer, and I don't really like wine. So that's probably a good reason for me not drinking very much. And I think just in the last couple of years, we've discovered um, apple cider, hard cider, and that tastes really good. Yeah, um, enough sweetness. And so... Yeah, there's enough sweetness in there um, to make it so it's really nice after a workout.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You get the rewards. The last time I did a century, it was to go to a brewery on the other side of Michigan. (laughs) Like, I need a goal. That's a good goal. That'll get me there. It is a good
1: goal. (laughs) Right. It's hard to bike after that, though.
0: Yeah, no. I had to have a a ride back home. So it worked out well. (laughs) Yes. There's one thing I wanted to mention I thought that you'd be interested in, well, actually two things that related to this is actually kind of follow up, but whatever we, um, so of course we're talking about how AI is going to bring on the end of the world, uh, very soon. Yeah. Very Uh, (laughs) soon. (laughs) Uh, did you, did you hear about, um, AlphaGo?
1: No. What is that? So
0: AlphaGo is, is, um, one of Google's little subsidiary or, you know, play around companies, I guess
1: created right. this subsidiary of alpha bat
0: probably yeah that's yeah. right they have been working on an artificial intelligence to play go and you may or oh, may not yes. have known this but like go is one of the the last games that computers are not better than humans at
2: yeah um, and it yeah.
0: was i don't know if it was thought but maybe not expected that computers would be better than humans but alpha go beats um this go master uh four games to one just a few weeks mm. ago yeah which was a huge deal yes a very very surprising result and um just further evidence that uh, the end of civilization is upon us
1: <laughs> it could be any second <laughs> it could be any, any second. second
0: it was really interesting i you know i don't i've played a little bit ago um and i didn't follow. i haven't read too much about this but i was following the matches every day i was just really interested huh. to see if like this computer was going to win because i remember the uh-huh. first day i saw oh the the computer won it was really unexpected and then but the the guy the the go master was like oh it was, it was a really good match but i know tomorrow i'm gonna win and then he lost three in a row and wow so that was that was the end
1: um, that's crazy so
0: this all tied into just about the same time we had some um potential faculty members coming to eastern to give talks so we had a seminar uh from a a research faculty that does research with nano, uh, nanomaterials. And specifically, one of the things that he's interested in doing is creating uh, objects that can self-assemble.
1: Oh, so what?
0: So imagine that you want like a cube. And this is a yes. very small cube because it's, you know, nano. So it's, I don't uh, I don't even remember how big on a side these cubes are, but it's just, you know, less than a micron. Right, and you want you know you want this cube, um, but you want it to start off as a two D sheet and then self assemble. Mm-hmm. And so he's been able to to make this happen basically by being really smart about how he attaches the sides of the cubes in a sheet. So you know if you're gonna make a cube, you can make uh, like six panels and they can lay flat. And so yes. the the joint that connects these six panels together will basically contract when heated
1: hmm yeah yeah makes sense
0: so it makes sense right so the whole time i'm listening to this talk i'm like oh my god we're doomed because <laughs> because you know it's not very hard to heat a metal or heat yes. anything all you have to do is pump a current through it yeah and uh it turns out that computers are really good at that sort of thing Um, so now not only can computers, are they, are they smarter than other human beings at all the very sophisticated games we've managed to create, they can also self-replicate. So, uh,
1: yeah, the, the end is near. That's a a leap. That's a vague (laughs) leap going from like making a cube that you have specially designed to (laughs) self-replication is, is a wee bit of a stretch. Oh, I don't
0: know. I mean... You know, listen, if if, if the computer now can, can sell, if we can design it, the computer can design it and build it. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And and so it's just a matter of time, really. So we um we should start uh, looking for another planet, I think. <laughs>
1: uh, here, I, think uh, I
0: hear Planet X is nice.
1: Planet X. <laughs> yes. On uh, the uh, ask. Hank and John podcast. Uh-huh. Uh, they talked about planet Meloria. Oh, yeah.
0: Planet Meloria.
1: Which is uh, the planet Earth directly <laughs> on the other side of the sun, which is there's no way to, tell. <laughs> there's no way to well, tell. There's no way to tell if there's a planet there. It could be there. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. That was. No. That's true.
1: Um, yeah. But. Oh, man. I mean, wouldn't a computer... Like, if a computer wanted to replicate itself, wouldn't it... um, I mean, it could actually just order itself, like, computers from Amazon (laughs) or something, and then have people pay people to come and assemble it somewhere... right and then it could download its own code onto that computer okay
0: but that you know that maybe at the start of the ai revolution that's what's going to happen but you know yes. it's not going to take humans very long to be like no no i'm onto your computer <laughs> <laughs> you're yes. just gonna be no amazon for you yeah, that's right we're gonna take that away but yes. so, so you know the, what what scares me is when they could actually you know assemble it themselves they don't have to rely on amazon in any way
1: <laughs> right right
0: you know so we're 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 getting close no I don't, know. I don't know that was that was all like that whole talk i'm just like are you kidding me and i went to dinner yep. with a bunch of people after this and i'm like did you guys not think that this is bad news for humans they're like what are you talking about you are crazy but one <laughs> of my crazy. one of my fellow professors is like no no that's true like ai is gonna is gonna ruin the world yes we need to worry about this stuff
1: yeah when um some of the students, the honor students, when they say what they're um, majoring in and what they're specializing in and what their focus areas are going to be and everything, and people like will say artificial intelligence, I'm like, oh, my God, you are going to be the death of all humanity. <laughs> that's right. You personally will kill us all.
0: <laughs> do you not oh, like man. humanity?
1: What's <laughs> wrong yes, with you? Yes. All you have to do is just keep them away from heavy machinery, right? <laughs> and And it will be fine. In theory, that's true. Oh, my gosh. Um. So the website that you sent me that, like, lists a bunch of AI type of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and, like, end of the world type of stuff. Uh-huh. There was a list of recipients of people who have gotten money to try to figure out how to stop artificial intelligent creatures or beings from destroying the world. Oh,
0: I didn't see that one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And there are, I mean, these grants are, like hundreds of thousands of dollars, and there are many, many, many of them. Huh? One of the people is actually from University of Michigan. Oh, yeah. And so I have to call this person up and ask them to be a guest on our podcast. Yes,
0: we need to make that happen.
1: Absolutely. That is very important. Yes. We will ask this person why they are trying to destroy humanity. I guess they're trying to help um, humanity survive by destroying artificial intelligence or something like that. Yeah. What? So they're they're a good person.
0: They are. They sound like a, an upstanding citizen. Well, so now that we've talked about the end of the world and um and seven eves, let's uh why don't we have a talk with a uh, with an optical engineer?
1: I think that that's a fantastic idea.
0: All right, that makes perfect sense to me.
1: Let's let's do this. All right. <laughs> Who are you and what do you do?
2: Um, uh, my name is Todd Ergang. I am an optics engineer. Right now, I'm currently working for Federal Mogul in automotive lighting. So mostly what I'm doing right now is small exterior lamps, like uh, license plate lamps, mm. are basically the only things of mine that have hit the road so far. Okay. Um, I am working on uh, a lamp called a TBA lamp, which mm. is trailer backup assist. Okay. So Ford, uh, on, a, on a few of their vehicles, so right now on the f 150 And then upcoming on other vehicles, so the the ones that I'm in uh, particular working on is the Lincoln Navigator and the Ford Expedition. Mm. Uh, They are also going to have this trailer backup assist function, and basically what it is is, uh, I don't know if you've ever put a trailer... Uh, if you've ever had a trailer on the back of a vehicle and tried Have. to back it up. Yes. Yeah,
1: for our balloon program, we haul around a trailer all the yeah. time. Yeah. yeah.
2: Very difficult to back up. It like... is very difficult.
1: <laughs> very difficult.
2: Very easy to get T-boned and all that. Yes. So, so they've got this new feature now where they actually use a backup camera, looking down at the trailer hitch, and you use a uh, essentially a joystick now huh. to keep the trailer exactly where you want it. So... Really? Yeah. You back up. You use this little joystick to keep it straight. So if you're trying to back into a parking space, you know, uh-huh. and turn into it, you can just use the joystick to back where, up into it. Where can I buy one of these?
0: I'm so <laughs> I'm so confused though. So you you're backing up and you've got one hand on the steering wheel and one hand on the joystick.
2: No. So the the steering wheel is no longer used. Okay. You actually uh, just use the joystick to back up now. Holy so, crap. That's yeah, crazy. just for that feature. And so, what do you? What is your job related to that? So, what I do is, if you want to do this maneuvering at night, uh huh, you got to illuminate the trailer hitch. Okay. And uh, they have a requirement that they need six lux of light on the trailer hitch over the entire range of angles and kind of the entire range of positions uh, that the hitch can be in. How do they
0: determine that that requirement?
2: You know, I think one of the engineers at Ford was looking at how much light they needed. Like, they had a lux meter, so you can go to the store buy a lux meter. Photographers use them pretty regularly to try and get a measurement of, you know, how much flash they need or right. uh, whatever when you're taking pictures indoors. Yeah, So you can get a lux meter that'll give you that measurement of lux. And I think the engineer who came up with that said, well, I need to have... Uh, 6 lux for my camera to be able to resolve sufficiently Mm -hmm. the features on the hitch. Like, I think they have a little strip of tape on the trailer hitch that you apply, and it's got stripes on it. Okay. And they use the position of that striped strip to figure out where the trailer is. is.
1: Right, right. Okay, cool. And then you could basically, you can try to do the navigation stuff and then turn down the light a little bit, and then try to do it, and turn down the light a little bit, and once you start failing, then you say, well, that's the minimum requirement. Yeah,
2: and they probably put some safety factor on it. On you know. that. Right, right.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because it's going to be, your light bulb will get dirty and
2: stuff. It will, yep. You know? uh, it is on the back of the vehicle, so, you know, big lens on it that's oh. got, that can accumulate dirt right. for sure. So, right.
1: Yeah, Joey's, uh, my wife's, prius has a backup
2: camera Mm -hmm.
1: on it and the vast majority of time when she puts it in reverse all you get is like a gray (laughs) snow thing because it's just covered with filth all the time all the time yep yep
0: you guys do have particularly dirty cars all the time
1: we we do right now somebody told me that my car was filthy right now and I think it's the cleanest it's been in months.
0: <laughs> you haven't been paying close enough attention
1: to my car. <laughs> right, right, exactly, exactly. What do you do on a typical day? And start out with what do you drink in the morning? Okay.
0: Yeah, this is important stuff because we, we haven't talked to any non-academics. Todd, you're, you're our first non-academic.
2: <laughs> oh, that's, that's yeah, very yeah. true. Very we don't true. know what goes um, on outside so, of these walls. So I have to tell you though, so I am not a coffee drinker yes! and a large part of that is because my wife, when, when I drink coffee and I get even drink coffee at like eight o'clock in the morning, when I get home at like five 30, six o'clock, whenever yeah. my wife will say, your breath is horrendous, <laughs> you know, from the coffee, and brushing <laughs> your teeth doesn't get rid of it and stuff. And, yes.
0: So you like coffee, you just don't drink it.
2: Yeah. If you put enough sugar in it, you know, <laughs> anything tastes good. So,
0: so does your wife not like coffee?
2: No, she doesn't drink it either. So oh. Yep. So neither one of us are coffee drinkers. She'll drink her Mountain Dew or, or Coke. What I what I drink actually to get going because I'm fat and I'm trying to not be fat. You are not Well, I'm somewhat fat. fat, by the way. <laughs> you're the, exactly the same size as me, so like if you're fat, I am fat. Too. Yeah. So, so what I like to drink is just plain black tea. Uh, Earl huh. Grey is usually what I drink okay. in the morning. You're sophisticated. Going. Yeah, yeah. Oh, very <laughs> nice. Do you uh, have anything in your tea? I do not. I actually huh. just drink it straight up plain Earl Grey.
1: Okay, and you don't stop at some really expensive coffee house like Dave and buy uh, tea?
2: <laughs> no, no I don't. Actually, you... Federal Mogul provides free uh, tea oh. and coffee, oh, and awesome. so I
1: drink their free tea. Awesome. Yeah. academic institutions the tea and coffee sort of sucks <laughs> okay <laughs> so that's why dave has to stop at some really expensive like, place and like
0: three things. times three times okay
1: <laughs> three <laughs> times.
2: so you don't have your own french press or anything oh, i couldn't even tell you how operate, or i couldn't even tell you what a french press is let alone do i have okay. one <laughs> no yeah some of the guys at gd where i worked before federal mogul yes. had the french press you oh. know would get the fancy coffee yes. you know and Very sophisticated. The little glass container with the little strainer and that whole thing. Yeah, my sister
1: just gave me one.
2: Okay. I feel like there's a
0: a department that one of us works at that has a very fancy cappuccino maker.
1: (laughs) So when you say uh, you
0: know, we academics.
1: (laughs) That is very true. Uh, So, our department to promote conversation between people, especially like students and faculty members and stuff. Every day wheels out a cappuccino or a espresso machine uh, at three o'clock every day. Okay. And they give free um, espresso. Like, you can go up and make your own. And it's a pretty fancy machine. It's so fancy, I have no idea how to use it.
0: (laughs) And can you say espresso (laughs) again, please?
1: Expresso? Are you saying
0: X, like E-X espresso? I feel like that's what you're saying. (laughs) i
1: I am go- not going to make a comment on that.
2: Okay, <laughs> that's what I heard too, Dave. Just you know, sitting a foot away. That's it. It's American for espresso. <laughs> it, is, it is. American. I am an American. American. He did tell me beforehand he's voting for Trump. Also. So. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. oh man, we just lost
1: like ten of our twenty listeners. have twenty listeners,
0: that's awesome. That's great
1: news. <laughs> it's it's up. <laughs> now it's down. <dead. laughs> <Yeah. laughs> okay, so you are describing uh, what you actually do on a day to day basis. Okay. So after you drink your Earl Grey tea.
2: Yep. Uh, uh So it depends on the day. Yep. Um, But like on a typical day, I'll, I usually come in and I'll just stare at my desk and space out for about 15 minutes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. It's your wake seen, up time. If you've ever seen Office Space, you know, that's a. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. It's what he describes. So usually I'll check email, you know, um, see if anything happened to come in the day before. And then usually what I'll do is I'll start working on whatever project it was I was working on when I left the day before. Um, So as for example, today I came into work, Ford had asked me, we're working on a uh, license plate lamp Mm -hmm. for the F-150 Raptor China version. Huh. And the problem is, is that even though I had the the China lighting regulation, we didn't have a lot of these. There's three light uh, regulations that actually concern the license plate. And I only had one of them (laughs) (laughs) when I designed everything. So we found out that they had some issue with the bumper as they had designed it. It was not meeting a regulation for the license plate that says you have to have uh, clear visibility... 30 degrees outboard from the license plate. Like, you okay. have to... If you were 30 degrees off to the left or the right of the vehicle, you have to be able to see the entire license plate. Right. And then it was something like uh, 15 up and 5 degrees down. Okay. And the way they had designed this, part of the step pad, you know, the covering oh, that goes okay. over the bumper, uh-huh. uh, was blocking that. So we have to kind of move everything Huh. Uh, in order to get it to where they can meet that requirement. Okay. Um, then they have another uh, requirement that says, uh, if you go out 25 meters from the rear of the vehicle, 15 degrees outboard from the kind of the farthest extent. Yeah. And then at a height 1 meter to 2.2 meters above the ground, don't ask me where they came up with these numbers, but you can't see any white light to the rear of the vehicle that might cause confusion. So, so they don't want to huh. see the... The license plate lamp, the lit portion of it in yes. that zone. Okay. Um, so they had asked me, hey, can you verify that this license plate lamp that we have meets that requirement and also, you know, put some lines in CAD? Okay. Um, so I, I sat down, kind of struck out all the lines in CAD this morning
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, that would show that any line from that 15 degree, 25 meters behind the vehicle. Uh, 1.1 meter to 2.2 meters above the ground. Any lines from that region go through something on the bumper. So Todd, the way that you
0: describe it, it seems to me that a pretty large percentage of your time at work must be spent dealing with any number of increasingly obscure regulations for whatever you're working on.
2: So that that's part of it. You know, it really varies on a day-to-day basis, you know, depending on the customer and what they want and, and stuff like that. And a lot of times, you know, so just as, for example, yesterday I was working on this issue. You know, the the, the customer wants to move the the lamps around. Um, they were asking me various questions about if we moved it this way, that way. You know, would we have issues with the meeting the photometric requirements on the license plate? Uh-huh. So I worked on that for part of the day. I had another customer. So this is um, I'm trying to think of what vehicle this is ultimately going in. Nissan, I think. Hmm. Everything what that I get is usually a program code. You mm-hmm. know, so like they don't right. tell you necessarily. You're working on the F-150 Raptor, but right. you call it. You're working on the P-552, right. and then eventually somebody will tell you what that vehicle yeah. code represents. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So I was working on, like, the Nissan H42L, which I think is, like, the Ultima, uh, okay. a light pipe that go inside the door. So one of the things that we were doing, the the customer, which in this case is actually a, a company called MTech, you know, so we're, we're a Tier 2 supplier, so we oh. supply them, like, the light pipe, the light pipe, uh, the light engine and the carrier that surrounds the uh, light pipe, protects it, you know. Okay. Keeps it, uh, it, the part that you would mount to the door itself. Yes. Um, so we would provide that to essentially the door manufacturer. So the, right. the guys who make the door panel and the window and that sort of thing and provide all that to Nissan. Yeah. So they were wanting to know how we were going to snap all these parts together and make it so they wouldn't rattle and squeak and, mm-hmm. you know, wouldn't come apart while going over a bumpy road and that sort of thing. So, right. So one of my colleagues would would put little tabs on my light pipe, and then I run a simulation to see what kind of performance we get out of the that. Okay. Yeah, and it always decreases the performance. You know, okay. whenever you do something to kind of adulterate the optic, you know, it's going to decrease the per- performance. And then the question is just how much does it do- decrease it? You know, is right. it so bad we can't live with it, or is it small enough that we could just increase the light int- intensity or whatever to to meet the requirements? So, yeah. So that was, like, something else I worked on. What do you
1: love about your job?
2: You know, um, so there's a couple things I really love. One is when you kind of get that new challenge, you know. Mm -hmm. So for this TBA lamp, it was the first time we had done anything like this. Mm -hmm. Um, Had to figure out how to kind of best implement it. And one of the things that I ended up coming up with for this particular lamp, because of the geometry of how the light needs to come out. Yeah. And, you know, if you if you look at the lamp itself, you've got a circuit board, right, mm-hmm. that's got a couple LEDs on it, and then you've got some reflector um, that you need to use to, to put the light where you need it to go. Right. And then a the lens to protect all that stuff. In this particular case, because the board is kind of fat, you want it kind of fat, mm-hmm. because you're putting some bright LEDs on there, You need some area for the heat to dissipate so that the LED doesn't overheat. Yeah. So they always want kind of the biggest area board you can put in it. Mm -hmm. What I ended up doing in that case was building a collimator that went over top of the LEDs. Then the board was between the collimator and the reflector portion. So I I had a couple reflectors that would collimate the light to go towards the spreading reflector. And then I had the spreading reflector that would direct the light where I needed it to go. Okay. And we designed this such that you could pull it from one plastic piece. So hmm. I'm, I'm making three reflectors in one part. Huh. And it was a few different concepts I tried, you know, yeah. before I kind of settled on that one as the best solution. Hmm. And we ended up uh, applying for a patent on that particular... Oh. Uh, technology just because it's something no one else has done before at least we couldn't find anyone else who had done that
1: so how often do you get these sort of really cool challenges
2: it's it's somewhat few and far between you know i've been there um two and a half years now and i'd say there's probably really three good patents that i've come up with so so the, I guess that's kind of answering both questions at once you mm-hmm. know in in the two and a half years I've been there, I've come up with three good patents I think are worth pursuing. Okay. okay
1: you've only been working there for two and a half years and I know that you've been out of school for a little longer than two and a half years. yeah so uh, what if, what were you doing before that?
2: Before that I worked at General Dynamics mm-hmm. um, advanced information system. I was working on optics for military purposes. Mm. Mostly the project that I worked on for the bulk of my time there was something called IVT, which was imaging through volume turbulence. Hmm. Um, and what we were trying to do was do long-range imaging horizontally from heights that are close to the ground. Okay. So the, the scenario where you can kind of, that you can kind of picture where this would be most useful would be a, a sniper you know, laying on the ground about a kilometer from the target he wants to hit. Okay. Using a scope that, when you look through the scope, it's just totally blurred out because the turbulence is so bad. Okay. Because heat
1: rising from the ground or something like that. Yeah. 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 Okay.
2: And what we tried to do was to, if you look at the turbulence at least certain times a day, there are um, what I'll call bubbles, you know, Mm -hmm. where you can actually get, Magnification. Hmm. Um, so if you're looking at, like, for example, a um, a resolution target, you know, so like a series of horizontal lines. Right. Those horizontal lines correspond to a certain resolution of your system, right? Okay. In certain parts of the day, when the turbulence is kind of just kicking up, you'll get these bubbles that will actually magnify that resolution target, hmm. and so you'll actually be able to see better. Hmm. resolution on your target than you would with your optics alone okay and in some cases you can actually uh go beyond the diffraction limit huh and get what they called super resolution imaging really yeah uh the problem though is that in practicality of that you know the 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 turbulence just gets so bad that it's so washed out Hmm. over long distances yeah especially close to the ground that it's really not practical to do that hmm um, but one application where we did see good use for it is is if you've got a camera on a tower in the desert. So let's mm-hmm. say you had a 30 meter tall tower along the border between the U.S. and Mexico, and you're looking for people crossing the border. Okay. Especially if you're looking for people who might not be good guys, you know.
1: Like- you mean Americans trying to go to Mexico after <laughs> Trump is elected? Is that, is that
2: the scenario that we're? Yeah. So yeah, we're mostly looking for like terrorists who would like sneak right. across the border, right. that right. sort of thing, right? Yeah. So, in that case, you know, the the height above the ground mm-hmm. um, gives you a much better vantage point. You know, okay. like the bubbling kind of turbulence is actually prevalent for more of the day. Huh? You can do image processing on the on the images that you take, okay, and get a much clearer picture. So yeah, so that's what I've worked on mostly what I worked on kind of for the eight years before working at Federal Mogul.
0: You know, how do you, you transition from a place where you're working on optics for, you know, for government application that seems to be pretty specialized and then going over into doing, working on optical systems for use on commercial vehicles or doing work for, for Ford and those sorts of companies. You know, what skills are you applying or what are you doing in your job that that there's, there's, you know, you can tr- make that transition smoothly?
2: Well, so, you know, the funny thing, actually, so before I worked at GD, I actually worked at Visteon after Visteon had just split off from Ford, and uh, I had actually started my first job, so that was my first job out of college, was uh-huh. working at Visteon. I was designing headlamps and tail lamps, um, which is actually way more similar to the stuff I'm doing now hmm. than the stuff I did at GD. GD was more of the kind of leap, I think. Right in terms of um, where I just came from to where I went you know. So how did you make that leap? Um, so that leap was uh, I think really founded here in the Space Physics Research Building. My graduate work was done building, uh, designing and building a laser radar uh, mm-hmm. to measure winds in the atmosphere. So there was a lot more I guess Fourier optics, imaging sensors, and and Fourier optics type work yeah. involved in doing that, specifically yeah. in extracting the wind speeds from the from the interferometric data on the lidar. So the 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 imaging sensing uh, Fourier optics was all kind of tied into the stuff I did at GD. Okay. The automotive, you know, the kind of non-imaging optics mm-hmm. um, was more of a transition from, you know, I really enjoyed the designing and building the optics right, portion of my graduate work more than anything else.
1: So the, so the stuff that you're doing now and the stuff that you did at Vistion is more of the hardware of, like, how is light going to go from here to there? Yeah. And the stuff that you did at GD is now that I've measured the light how can I analyze it in some meaningful way? Yeah,
2: exactly. Okay. Yep. Very interesting. Yeah.
1: So it's not often that you get to use, like, both aspects of your um, degree.
2: Right, right. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I've kind of, uh, I've really enjoyed everything I've done. You mm. know, like, the, the headlamps and tail lamps I actually got old after a while. Like, I got bored. That was one of the reasons why I left Visteon was just, on the production side of things you know you're not doing a whole lot of new stuff right you know like i developed this um it was the first ever headlamp to use this particular bulb that they had come out with hmm. and i incorporated that into a number of projects so the first one was the f-150 the 2004 f-150 uses hmm. bulb uh, and then there were a few programs um, that used that exa- that same bulb and relatively the same optics you had to tune them, you know, to kind yes. of fit the different package size and that sort of thing. But in essence, it was the same damn program over and over and over again. And right. I got kind of bored with that, and yeah. I was like, "All right, I need to find something new." Right. And that's when I transitioned over to GD. Hmm. And they really, when I came in, it was kind of funny because I expected them to kind of grill me on what I had been doing for the last five years at Vistion. Yes. Yeah. And what they asked me to do was to um give my dissertation talk essentially oh really yeah yeah (laughs) very cool yeah so that was uh, actually pretty neat i had to break out all these old flimsies and they're like uh you don't have a memory stick or whatever to put in here it's (laughs) like no everything was all my stuff was actually on a (laughs) zip disk (laughs) (laughs) we just threw
1: away like all of our zip disks like just a couple of months ago yeah yeah. that's
2: And it was kind of weird because I, I, I wondered why they were asking for my transcripts and all that because they uh-huh. wanted to see, you know, that I'd taken Fourier Optics and the right. Fourier Optics Lab. and So did you know, know so what I, the
1: job was going to be before you actually went in there?
2: I actually had no clue. You know, uh, the funny thing was when I was looking at the job description, you know, like yeah. a, I had, I had uh, looked at, at GD's website back in, uh, I think it was like April of 2005 and they had a position open for what they called a d- diversity imaging researcher and i was reading about it and i was like you know the the applicant will be an expert on diversity imaging and all this <laughs> stuff and i'm like i've never even heard of this so that's <laughs> right right that's, that's not totally me. not you totally not me you know <laughs> right. so i didn't apply for that job and then a few months later i saw they had posted a position where it was just we're looking for somebody with a background in physics and i'm like Okay, that is me, you know? (laughs) So I applied for that position and and their HR person called me and they said, Hey, the hiring manager would like to bring you in, but they would actually like to interview you for a different position. And it turns out it was the diversity imaging. Diversity imaging. Yeah. Interesting. So, I was in the diversity imaging group, and I now know what diversity imaging <laughs> is, you know. But right. right. <laughs> but at the time, I That's had no so clue. Awesome. That's so great. Changing topics
1: completely, Okay. Um, what hobbies do you have?
2: So, I'm an avid bowler. Yes. Love bowling. Love softball. So, bowling's my fall sport. Softball's my summer sport. Okay. Um, and then, you know, it's really kid stuff. Like, I've been... Um, coaching both my youngest sons and my oldest sons basketball teams Hmm. so you know three days uh, actually I've had three practices and three (laughs) games a week up until this just this past week (laughs) oh my gosh do you do you consider
1: like that as a hobby job you consider that as a duty (laughs)
2: job right a a little bit of both but you know (laughs) i've really enjoyed like i coached basketball the first time four years ago Uh um for for my oldest son Mm -hmm. and uh and it was fun you know really enjoyed it coached it again um you know wasn't quite (laughs) as fun because we didn't win as much right the first year we basically went undefeated oh because they happened to give me a stacked team right 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 really good players and then the second year not so much do you, um,
1: do you play your son more than you should?
2: Uh, you know, it's probably... Um, yeah, I think
0: that means you're Maybe, a, maybe a little bit.
2: <laughs> but uh, it's one of those things, like, I don't think he actually got the most playing time of anybody on the team. Right, right. And I'm probably biased, but I thought he was the best kid on the team. Okay. You know? Certainly from an all-around perspective. I had better shooters. Mm-hmm. You know, I had uh, a kid who was taller Mm-hmm. And who could you know post up a little bit better? Okay, you know, and I probably had a kid who's better rebounder. You passed over, you glossed over
1: uh, something that was like uh, a little more integral in your life, uh-huh. uh, which is bowling. Uh huh. Like you said, oh, I love bowling, but I yeah. don't think that that really <laughs> fully captures.
2: <laughs> yeah. The... I so I bowl from you know September through like April, right? Uh-huh. And then we bowl in various tournaments. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I've I've got a uh, two... I think my average right now is 212. So I'm a reasonably good bowler. <laughs> That's, and you
1: have scored a 300 game. And
2: I've had a 300 game, yeah. But yes. only one, so... <laughs> only one. <laughs> yeah, but right. I, I kind of see that as... A, I've, I've watched guys, actually, with like a 160 average or so mm-hmm. throw 300s, you know? Really? Yeah, yeah. Where huh. you just go, how the heck did that guy... Throw that pathetic loser. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, where you go, you know, he on an average day may throw 130 game, you know, 120, yeah. 130 game, you know, where you're only throwing like two marks the entire game. Yes. And somehow he threw 12 <laughs> strikes in a row, you know, yeah. in the same game. You know, that's crazy. Yeah.
1: I can do like a 130. I could do, I used to be able to do that consistently. Okay. I felt like a rock star.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yep. Yep. All right. Favorite TV show?
2: I guess currently I I tend to like Survivor. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, wow. Like the reality, the even it's though the head. non-reality reality shows, right? The uh-huh. the um, watching new people uh, tackle obstacles, I guess. Okay. So I like the Ninja Warrior, you know, type oh, of show. Yep. yep survivor amazing race that sort of thing okay um don't get into like the american idol the voice those sorts of reality shows yes um it's more the challenge based ones you know okay Okay. the ones where you look at it and go that'd be fun to do you know when you're at work do you listen to music i don't (laughs) i actually don't listen to anything huh um, mostly because I'm easily distracted. Oh, so yeah. if a song came on, I'd be more humming along with the song than getting the stuff done that I need to get done. Okay, so, so
1: you sort of need total silence? I,
2: I don't need total silence because I found, like, I, I share an office with four uh, three other coworkers. Okay. And I can, for the most part, unless they're being exceptionally loud, I can tune them out. Okay.
1: But so. music itself just sort of... Distracts you. Yeah, yeah, because well, I find
2: trickster. that I, if it's music I enjoy, I will find myself more listening to the music right. than concentrating on what I need to concentrate on. Right. If it's music I don't enjoy, then I don't really want to listen to it anyway. So
1: Okay. <laughs> Good enough. Yeah. Uh, I, do you listen to music then
2: on your car? I do, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I've got the iPod full of mostly 80s type songs, you know. Right. Docking and Tesla and stuff nice. like that. <laughs> oh,
0: man. I haven't listened to Docking in a long time.
2: Oh, yeah. I've even got my kid. My oldest kid is a huge Docking <laughs> fan. You know, he, really? he listens to my music. I'll hear, hear him up playing on the PlayStation and Tesla song or Docking song. And <laughs> Def Leppard awesome. will come on. And I'm like, yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I have succeeded oh in God. being a dad.
2: Yep, yep,
1: exactly. That's so awesome. Dave and I uh, both listen to heavy metal stuff also, Uh, but we tend to listen to more modern heavy metal in like, we're like 10 years further than you. Okay. (laughs) Is it the stuff that's like, (laughs) sort of metal? (laughs) No, definitely not. Okay. Uh, But like Tool and um, I listen to System of a Down. Okay. Stuff like that, which is like, late 90s early 2000s i do stuff. have
2: tool and allison chains on my ipod okay. as well right. i just okay. tend to i think i more enjoy the 80s stuff but yes. allison chains especially a huge fan of that okay. even the new stuff like uh check my brain you know i i like that song at least it's on the uh on it's the on old, the ipod what?
1: okay <laughs> what about acdc yep Good. oh yeah love oh. All all right okay, okay. yeah i don't like acdc <laughs> oh no no okay no, no. At, at crossfit they play AC/DC all the time and i'm just like oh okay play something good come on
2: <laughs> well see i tend to like songs like live wire have you heard that song yes that's probably my favorite acdc okay. song so. all, right.
0: all right i feel like if good. they played yeah. system of down at uh, at crossfit you might enjoy it but it might depress everybody else <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah people people would not be very happy <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's very true. They're
2: very eclectic, I find. You know, yes. like B Y O B. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> exactly. How do you think the world will end? Top? So, two words Justin Bieber. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my prediction. The world's going to get like Bieber, fever? Yeah, I think, uh, no, seriously. But my serious answer is uh, uh, I think we are, global climate change is going to destroy uh, most of life on Earth. Yeah. At some point, you know, we're going to. Like the atmosphere will just be too hot? Yeah, I think, you know, Mother Nature has a great system of healing herself, you know, when things go bad. And yes. I think she will get rid of the offending uh, the offending uh, creatures, Creatures, which is humans, you know, right. at least will, right. I think, die off. So oh.
1: <laughs> Very interesting. Do you think that that will happen quickly, or do you think it will happen over a period of...
2: I think it'll be years. a couple hundred years, you know, before uh-huh. we get to that point at least, but yeah, I think we are on a path of uh, basically no return, and I at least, I saw you had Allison uh, yes. uh, in here talking last week, or last time, I guess, yes. right, so yeah. um, so I'm not saying anything new uh, right. that she probably hasn't already said, but. Right, I have to admit, I am not one of the twenty subscribers to your podcast. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. Yes, oh. we'll earn that subscription. But I at least looked at your page and saw, you know, and listened to a couple minutes of one once. <laughs> right. <laughs> we can't even get the people who we interview to listen to our podcast. Well, that is a reasonable oh,
1: first so goal. Sad. That is a good first goal. <laughs> yes. Oh, my
0: gosh. (laughs) Turns out, you know, people don't want to hear what we have to say all the time.